0: So, welcome to our new series today. I am super, super excited about this series called Above All uh, on the Book of Colossians. You know, if you haven't figured it out by now, we believe in keeping it real at North County Christ the King. Some of you would probably say, yeah, Kurt, too real sometimes, right? But here's the reality today the reality is that we live in a world that offers us great times of joy, things that we get to really experience and have a good time experiencing. But how many of you know that life also comes with hard times, with challenges, with stress, with pain, with disappointment? Uh, You know, we experience illness and death at the same time as we experience the birth of new babies that bring us joy in our life. I think we had 25 kids, if I remember from the report last week, that we dedicated last year. Two, again, we're going to do this morning and this evening. So we experience such a wide variety of Joy and also struggle in life. And you know, if you're, if you're in a relatively pain-free life, I always like to say, you know, just wait. Pain will come. And if not through you personally, it'll come through uh, family members or friends that you get to experience life with. Jesus said it well. He said it perfectly. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus told us that. But then he said, take heart. I have overcome the world. And this morning, as we jump into this series, my purpose for bringing this series to you from Colossians is to remind us that Jesus is above all, above all in our lives, above all the joy, all the trouble. He is supreme, above all creation. We're going to find that out next week. And when we give Him His rightful place in our life, He promises to help us rise above the struggles and the difficulties. That we have in this life and to experience victory in the midst of struggle I love this graphic that Lisa our graphic artist made for us Because here you see that that there's a part of life that rises above The clouds and the existence of life But then there's a part like an iceberg that goes below the surface that many of us don't even see Many of us have no idea. There's an iceberg below the surface of your life But I can tell you there's an iceberg in my life There's an iceberg in your life. For all of us, we have something beneath the surface. surface, And Jesus wants us to rise above the circumstances. We're not going to lose uh, the difficulty. But he wants us to rise above the circumstances and live with him. So the book of Colossians is a book that, that lays out how Jesus is supreme, how he is above all. Now, this book is written by Paul, the apostle. While he's in prison, You know, he's experiencing some of that iceberg himself. And he writes this letter while he's in prison, and he writes it about Jesus. And you know, for Paul, when he writes this letter, it's probably some of the darkest and loneliest days of his life. And it's in this time of his life that he writes about the supremacy of Christ, even while one might argue there's evidence in his life that Christ is not supreme while he writes this letter. Now, I don't know what you do on your darkest, loneliest days of life. Maybe you watch Netflix and eat ice cream. I don't know, but this is what Paul did. Paul found comfort in reminding his friends outside of prison that God was good and that Jesus would be enough for them. So as we jump into this awesome book of the Bible, I suggest that you think about the prisons of your life. What are those places that are hard for you? Where are those places that maybe you feel alone? Where where are those places that you feel like maybe no one even knows about? Places that you struggle with, where you feel chained. And I'm going to invite you to begin to believe, or at least increase your belief, that Jesus is above all. So let's jump in. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. Let's just pause there for a moment and and pull this apart a little bit. Who are God's holy people? Us, right? The church. Whoever receives Christ as their Savior. We are set apart. That's what holy means. With Christ in your life, you are set apart. It doesn't mean you're perfect, it doesn't mean you never fall or fail. You're not distinguished by your ability, or by your status, by your accomplishments. You're not distinguished by how well life happens to be going for you. But you are distinguished, you're set apart simply by confessing your need for Jesus Christ. That is what sets us apart. That is what makes us holy. That hopefully we respond differently to the world than before we had Christ in our life. So Christ's grace saves us, but then he begins to change us, and we become faithful brothers and sisters. Look around the room. Come on. Loosen up a little bit. Look around the room. These are your faithful brothers and sisters that endure some of the same icebergs and prisons that you endure. What does that mean? Well, that means we love each other. That means we are for each other. And that means from our various prisons or dealing with the icebergs of our life, We receive God's grace and peace, each of us do, to rise above the struggles that we face. So that's number one in your notes this morning. Number one is, life can be hard, but God gives us grace and peace to rise above all the troubles of life. I love this picture. I was talking with somebody this week. The picture. Yes, there it is. I love this picture. We were arguing about what this was. Was was it a sloth? Was it an otter? What do you guys think? It's a turtle. Yeah, it's a turtle. And we were laughing about this and how it truly feels sometimes in life that all we have above water is our nose. You ever feel that way? You ever have weeks in your life that it feels like, man, all I got above water is my nose. I can barely breathe, but I'm breathing, right? I'm going to stay alive. I'm going to keep my nose above water, keeping our eyes on the shore or the dock. I remember when our kids were small, we used to camp at Lake Perridge every summer and there was this dock, you know, just a I don't know a couple hundred feet from the shore in the swimming area and we would swim out to the dock. And you always want to keep your eyes on what it is you're swimming toward, right? You want to know where it's at so you don't get off course and, you, and swim a lot further than you need to. So we want to keep our eyes on Jesus. And sometimes in this life, it means that we tread water. It's important to know how to tread water. Even if you don't know how to swim, everybody needs to know how to tread water. Because there will be times in life that you've got to tread water. It's even better if you can swim a little bit and move toward God's solution for you. But even when Jesus is above all in our life, there will be times that we tread water. There will be times when we just feel like, man, I've been in this place quite a while. So what do we do while we wait? What do we do while we're treading water? Well... Paul, the man in prison, says grace and peace to you. And you can't give what you don't have. And so Paul was giving what he had, what he had found true in his time in prison, grace and peace. And Paul had come to this above all place in his life. This is the place where you believe no matter what happens that God is good and that he is enough for you. I think that is what really defines maturity for a Christian. That no matter what you face in life, you come to the conclusion that God is good and He is enough for you. This is how you rise above. You rise above by turning to Christ in every situation that you face. Again, it doesn't mean that you escape your condition. I find that seldom true. You just don't let your condition rule your life. And you allow Jesus to meet you where you're at. So I want to ask you today, I want to keep this real. What condition are you in? What's the situation of your life? What's the challenge that you're facing? Where do you feel like you're treading water, like maybe just your nose is above the surface? What is that place for you? And I want to remind you today, and Paul's going to remind us, that God is enough for whatever situation you are in, and that God is good. Let's go on. Verse 3. Paul says, we always pray for you. We always give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith. Would you say faith? Faith. In Jesus Christ. And we've heard of your love. Would you say love? Love. For all of God's people. Notice it doesn't say love for yourself. It says for all of God's people. And then he says, which has come from your confident hope. Would you say hope? hope? Faith, love, and hope. Of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the news of the truth, the truth of the good news. Paul does an amazing job in these just a couple of verses of giving us the three responses that I think are critical in keeping our head above water and keeping Jesus above all in our hearts, rising above all in our lives. And here's the three they are faith, they are love, And they are hope. I know you've heard these before, but let's rehearse how these keep Jesus above all in our lives. Number two in your notes, faith, love, and hope keep Jesus above all in our hearts. I love this quote from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It says, Faith is the soul looking upward to God. Love looks outward to others. Hope looks forward to the future. Faith rests on the past work of Christ. Love works in the present, and hope anticipates the future. Those three things are what help us to keep Jesus above all in our hearts, in our lives. Let's talk about faith for just a minute. Faith looks upward to God. Faith looks for God's grace and peace, his guidance, his help in the time of our troubles. And faith remembers what Jesus has already done for us. I love this psalm. We often use it at funerals or memorials, Psalm 121. In fact, would you read this with me this morning? It's so powerful to read it together. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful psalm? I love that, and that's true in Christ, today my experience is that troubles don't go away when you receive christ and that circumstances of our life don't always change for the better in fact i'm a contender that sometimes i think circumstances can even get worse when you follow christ because now you have an enemy of your soul that is trying to destroy you and you're like great just what i wanted for becoming a christian right more trouble but at the same time we now have someone to place our faith in And faith keeps our eyes on Jesus and helps us understand, this is so important, don't miss this this morning, faith helps us to understand that God is at work even when times seem the darkest. Man, I hang on to that every day of my life. There's circumstances, there's icebergs in my life, and some of them are your icebergs that that I help carry, but there's icebergs in my life that I must believe that God is at work even when things seem the darkest. And I want to say to you today that faith has substance. You might say, well, you know, how do you measure faith? What's faith all about? You can't see it. But I want to remind you today, and if you didn't know, faith has substance. In fact, I would say to you today that in the spiritual realm, faith is more real than this stage, this foundation that I trust to bear my weight. In the spiritual realm, faith is more real Than the things you can see in the physical realm faith has substance Faith lays hold to what god has for us In the spiritual realm and then it brings it it invites it Into the present i'm not talking about word faith movement. I'm talking about believing god and receiving what he has for us In our times of trouble the writer of hebrews said it so well They said now faith is the substance of things hoped for The evidence of things not seen faith a substance And faith is the evidence. Our faith is the evidence of things that we can't even see yet. People that you love that are still lost. Family members that are struggling. Maybe even your own marriage. Maybe even your own health. Faith is the evidence of things that we can't even yet see. So the Bible says that God has purposes for our life. Faith lays hold to these purposes and invites them to be true about us. You know, it's like this. Last month I bought tickets to Thailand. Did you know it's cheaper to fly to Thailand than Hawaii or the East Coast? And it's a lot cheaper to stay there. So I might recommend if you're looking for a cheaper vacation, check out Thailand. Now, I can believe all day long that there's a paradise paradise called Phuket. I can believe that all day long. There's a paradise out there lying to the east of us, the far east of us, right? But unless I buy a ticket to go there... I will never see it. So faith is my ticket. Like I can, I bought the tickets, I printed them out, I can pull them out and look at them all day long. I have the ticket for Thailand, but it's not going to come true until the day I step off the plane, right? Into Phuket. And that's where it'll become reality for me. But faith is the ticket. It's buying in to what God has for me and believing what he has for me is best for me. It's believing in the faith ticket until God brings it to pass. That's what Abraham did. It's exactly what he did. When God told Abraham he had a plan for his life, listen to what the Bible tells us in Romans 4. It just says, Abraham believed God. I want to ask you today, do you believe God for the things he has for your life, for your family, for the people that you love? Do you believe God? And it was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So faith is believing that God is at work in our lives, even when we can't see him working. Faith is true, choosing to trust God. It's, it's knowing his knowing, his seeing, his sovereignty. And there are ways that we build our faith. I like to say there's a faith muscle. Now, you know this about me. You know that I like to work out. And I don't work out as much as I used to. I just try to maintain what little strength I have left. So I'm not trying to build muscle. I'm just trying to maintain muscle mass. And so even as I work out, lift a few weights here and there to to try to maintain my muscles and my strength, it's true with faith. Faith is a muscle that you exercise. And if you don't exercise the faith muscle, it will atrophy and become weaker and weaker until until it will almost become useless in your life. And you will live a weak Christian life instead of a strong Christian life. So you've got to practice faith When you practice believing God, it builds endurance in your life. Faith becomes stronger through use. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. Not entirely. You'll have a little bit, enough to believe Jesus. But you've got to keep exercising your faith. So how do you practice faith? Let me give you three ways today. First of all, time in God's presence. Now, these are not going to be new to you, and these are called spiritual disciplines. These go back hundreds and hundreds of years. They've been practiced over time. They're proven, and they're the same things we've known as long as we've known Jesus. These are the disciplines to build faith. Faith is built through prayer. There's power in confessing who God is, like we did this morning, over your life. Saying out loud to God, What you believe about him that he is good and that he is enough. I do this every day Secondly faith is also built through times of worship like we did this morning Taking the truth of god's word and putting it to music and singing it together builds our faith A lot of times people ask me in fact, I had this conversation with a guy last night at a wedding He said well, we're not going to church anymore He said we are the church I said, yes, but we're called to build each other's faith by gathering together and worshiping Jesus together. You know, I love our times of worship together. It builds my faith to hear you confess the truth about God with me through song. So faith-filled worship establishes the truth about God in our hearts and in our emotions. Next, faith is built through time in God's Word. I'm so excited. There are 229 people Reading through the Bible with me this year. And that's not to mention all of you all that are doing your own, you know, um, you version Bible reading plans, all the other plans that you have. I know there's a lot of you doing your own thing. That's awesome. But 229 people have committed to read through the Bible and then comment on what we've read online. You can still get in if you want to do that. What does this do for us? This reinforces God's truth in our hearts. It overcomes our unbelief. It builds up our faith. We've got to be in God's Word. And then I guess I said three, but here's the fourth. Faith is built through time and fellowship. Spending time with others who are like-minded. Others who believe the way you do about God. For encouragement, for accountability. You know, we've got a hundred guys meeting on Tuesday nights at the fire. Last Tuesday was powerful. We had a great time of worship. Great time of testimony. Just time spent around the table, praying for each other, holding each other accountable, all of these spiritual disciplines result in the same thing. They build endurance in our life by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's the point of faith. Hebrews 12, the writer said, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured. Can you say endured? Endured. Jesus endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary or give up. After all, you've not yet... Given your your lives in your struggle against sin. This is Paul's kind of dig in our lives. You've not yet given up your lives like Jesus did. What are you whining about, Paul says, you know? You have a lot further to go before you ever approach what Jesus suffered for us. So how do you run with endurance? You remember what Jesus endured for you. And then you identify with him in what you have to endure. Jesus understands. He gets it. If you're struggling with life, the best thing you could do is turn to Jesus. Because he gets it. He understands. He'll meet you there. He'll help you endure. So Jesus endured it all for us. He gave it all for us. And we're to let that inspire us to give it all for him. And to give it all for others. And we call this love. Love keeps Jesus above all in our lives. Because love looks outward to others. Love looks outward to others. Paul goes on in verse 6. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere. You got to hear reports last week of the fruit that you are bearing all over the world and here locally by your giving and by your involvement. It's powerful. It's amazing what God is doing. And Paul's writing about this, what was happening in their day changing lives just as it changed your life from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant. He's helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. Paul is applauding this church for the love that they have for other people around them. So we've not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. And your lives, this is written to you today by proxy, your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And all the while you will grow as you learn to know God. Better and better. So I might say, if I encapsulate the scripture, how do you get to know God better and better? By loving those around you that God's given you to love. By reaching out. By letting your love be outward. Not letting it focus just on yourself. I love this verse. Verse 10. This is powerful. Pay attention to this. Verse 10. The way you live. The way you live. Comes from the phrase, to live worthy of the Lord. Like... Since Jesus gave it all for us and experienced all this horrible sin-bearing and wrath-bearing for us, what's that worth? What's the weight of that? And so Paul uses this word, the way you live, or to live worthy of the Lord, comes from the Greek word axios. This word means of equal weight, that the way you live should become as equal weight compared to what jesus gave to us how many of you would say yep i'm there no not me either i'll lower my hand for that one but that's what paul's after with us and that's what jesus is after with us that we would live in such a way that this doesn't win us our salvation but this is really the expression of thankfulness that we have for our salvation that our lives become axios axios Of equal weight, if we were on the scales, salvation on one side and our lives on the other, where would salvation be? Of course, we know salvation will always outweigh our works. But is it possible, Paul's saying, to bring them back a little bit more into balance? Can our lives be worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus gave? I believe that they can. How do we do that? We do that through love love looks outward to others and when you choose to live your life to love others It results in good fruit People being saved people being helped people being delivered People having their lives turned around and changed that is happening right here through your church North County Christ the King right here through you Here and around the world. It's happening Your lives are making a difference and I'm so grateful to God for that. And so as you live your life loving outwardly, the fruit becomes the focus. You know, before we meet Christ, what's, what's the focus of our life? Come on. It's ourselves. Come on, be honest. It is. It's ourselves. After meeting Christ, Jesus wants us to stop focusing so much on self and start focusing on the fruit. How can I partner with you, Jesus, How can I honor you with my life and this when we pay attention to this When the fruit becomes the focus it begins to keep jesus above all in our lives Because now our lives become about jesus. We're still impacted by the trouble of life like jesus said But as fruit becomes the focus we lift our eyes to jesus and we lift our eyes to the fruit And now we begin to keep him in that place above our lives because we have our lives on the right our eyes on the right thing on Jesus and on the fruit now it's about what he can do through us not just about what we can do for us i came across this great story i'm always hearing great stories about you guys there's so much more that happens through our church than than what we talked about last week and here's here's a story i'd like to share with you there's a young guy in our church that he heard about the fires in paradise And so a couple of weeks ago, he gave me a call and said, how can how can I do this thing? He decided he wanted to take his travel trailer. He said, it's parked all winter. Why don't I pull it down to paradise, and maybe there's a family that needs to use it for the winter while they rebuild their lives. (laughs) I just thought, that's outward, right? So here's the family. He pulled his trailer down to paradise. Here's the family. They were living in a motel. They have nothing. Their lives have been devastated. They have a dog. Who would let a dog live in your trailer? So it's not only them, it's their dog, right? But here they are. They now have a home for, I don't know, six months or whatever. They decide. Not only that, but he called up friends and they fully stocked the trailer with everything you would possibly need to live in there for a while. Love looks outward to others. Love results In good fruit. You know, living this kind of life, this life of love, results in knowing God better and better. That's what Paul says about this, that you know God better and better. Uh, The word for that is epignosis, being filled with the knowledge of God. That through loving others, you actually get to know God better. You're filled with the knowledge of God. And of course, what do you think that results in? What does knowing God better result in? It keeps Jesus in his place. Above our lives. So we have faith. We have love. And last of all but not least. We have hope. And hope. Keeps Jesus above all in our life. Because hope looks forward to the future. Hope looks forward to the future. Paul said in Romans five five That hope never disappoints us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit. Why doesn't hope disappoint us? Hope doesn't disappoint us because it's hope. It's hope because hope is still focusing on what is to come. You can't be disappointed by what hasn't come yet. So hope doesn't disappoint us and it keeps our eyes on what is yet to come. You know, there's enough disappointment in life, but hope never disappoints because hope is all about the inheritance. Hope is all about what Jesus has waiting for us. Hope is all about that Truth and that idea that one day we're going to be free from the troubles of this life Doesn't mean we all have a death wish But it does mean that there's this sense of peace in our hearts This hope in our lives because we know that one day this will all be over and we're going to be in his presence forever It's going to be awesome And so that's hope hope doesn't disappoint and hope keeps jesus above all In our lives because we know the best is yet to come somebody say amen. That's good The best is yet to come So paul finishes up here verse 11 We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power So that you'll have all the endurance and patience you need May you be filled with joy Always thanking the father He has enabled you to share in the inheritance That belongs to his people who live in the light For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That's hope. Hope lays hold to that promise. And that promise becomes as real to you as all the rest of life around you. How many times have I said to myself, you know, this is terrible, but there's a new day coming. And that has given me the hope to press on and press through. So that leads us to number three today. The last thing we want to talk about as we talk about keeping Jesus above all in our life. And we focus on the inheritance that he has for us. Number three, God's power strengthens us and fills us with the joy of knowing our inheritance is coming above all. Above all. Let's bring back that graphic again on the screen. Again, remember... That there is still an under to our lives, isn't there? There's still an under to our lives. All of us deal with the under to our lives. That under can become an undertow in our lives. It can feel sometimes like we're being pulled under. But always remember that there's an above to our lives as well. And that Jesus is in our lives. And he's above all in our lives. And he's there to help us rise above not the circumstances, not necessarily the trouble but to rise above in our hearts and to receive the endurance and the strength that he has for us so we can walk through this life and we can still produce fruit, even though there's hard things in our life. Now, verse 11 in this text that I just read, could you bring that back, verse 11, guys? Verse 11 says that you will have all the endurance that you need. All the endurance that you need. This word endurance comes from the Greek word hypomene, which means to remain under. This word endurance literally means to remain under. Paul's recognizing the fact that there's going to be an under to our lives. And we're going to need endurance to remain under as we walk through this life. But at the same time, Paul is saying, don't forget the glorious power that you have in Christ." That even though you remain under, that you rise above in your hearts, in your minds, in your souls. And you're still able to produce fruit. And you're still able to have joy and thankfulness for one reason and one alone. And his name is Jesus. That Jesus is enough for us. It's a powerful thing. Now, oftentimes, a lack of endurance in our life If we don't have this glorious power, can result in despondency. How many of you ever read Pilgrim's Progress by Bunyan? Let me see. Powerful book. You should reread that. I read the kid's version called Little Pilgrim when I was about 10. And there's this slew called the slew of despond. Remember that part where we get sucked under into despondency unless we're relying on the power of the glorious power of God. So if we're not relying on the glorious power of God, we'll get sucked into despondency or feeling sorry for ourselves or just, you know, not able to love out outwardly and not able to produce fruit because we've got this thing in our life. And God says, no, my glorious power is enough for that thing in your life. I want you to receive my power to rise above that. My glorious power, the Greek for that is dyname. Where do you think we get our word dynamite from? God's glorious power. And this is revealed by how we respond to the troubles that we face. I don't know what you think a pastor's life is like, so I'll just tell you, I have troubles. Like you, some of them are personal. Some of them are corporate. Some of them are community. Some of them are on the other side of the world. I have troubles. How I respond to the troubles in my life will factor whether or not I live in thankfulness, or whether or not I live in fruitlessness. Thankfulness, joy, not something that you whip up, but something that comes from that deep understanding that Christ is above all, allows you to still produce the fruit that God wants you to produce. So as I wrap up today, knowing and believing that God has an inheritance waiting for us gives way to thankfulness. I'm just going to make a suggestion today that if you find yourself not able to have much thankfulness and joy in your life, the fact may be that you have not really anchored in deeply to the truth of your inheritance. The truth that that truer than anything we experience here on this earth, there's an eternity with Jesus waiting for you. Knowing that, believing that, receiving that, helps you to keep Christ above all in your life. And that's what God wants for us. He wants us to keep our eyes on the inheritance, on the joy that Jesus had set before Him, that we would one day belong to Him and we would one day be with Him for eternity. It's an awesome thing. So faith, love, and hope keep Jesus above all in our troubles and produce joy and thankfulness in our lives. And worship, corporate worship, is one way we have of expressing that. So I'm going to invite the team to come. We're going to close with a couple of songs this morning, give you the chance to practice Keeping Jesus above all in your life by the words that you sing. Take these words, apply them to your heart, apply them to your trouble today as we sing. Let me pray for you. We're going to worship together. God, this morning, as we hear your word about you being above all in our lives, Jesus, we confess that sometimes it's hard to see that. It's hard to feel that. We look at our lives and we go, God, where are you? look at our lives and sometimes it's hard to connect with the truth that you are above all. And so, Lord Jesus, in this moment, we again bring our life under your supremacy. And we choose today to worship you in the midst of struggle, in the midst of hard times. God, may we find that joy and thankfulness that you have for us in knowing that you have a place prepared for us. Thank you, Jesus.